Good afternoon. Hope all of you are doing well. Uh, if you would, go ahead and turn in Ruth, Ruth chapter 1 with me. And as you guys are turning there to Ruth chapter 1, uh, I would love to pray for us as we enter into, enter into God's Word and to see a move. So let's pray together as you guys are turning to Ruth chapter 1. Father, we come before you, God, worshiping you for who you are. Guys, I sit here and I, I think about how you have entered into my world as you've entered into our world through a little town called Bethlehem, a town that in, in, most, in most cases would be forgotten, a town that in most cases would be looked over. But because of your presence in that little town, we look back at that moment, we look back at that place, and we are eternally grateful. God, we thank you here in just a few moments for introducing us, Father, to the book of Ruth. And I pray that you would hide me behind your cross. This would not be about me. This would not be about Maysville, but this would be about you. That you would speak to each individual in this room. And Father, even for those of us who know the story of Ruth, I pray that you would give us a fresh insight tonight. You would allow us to see ourselves in the story, that we would know that just as much as Ruth needed saving and redeeming, we are in the same spot. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your redemption. And so, God, we thank you that you offer that to us, that you go out of your way just like Boaz to, to come into our lives and to show us grace and love. So God, we thank you, we love you, and all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, let's go ahead and jump into it. Um, I want to start off by giving you guys a story for us to set the stage for what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks. The story is told of a, of a little boy who built a sailboat. He built the sailboat and had it all fixed up, tarred and and painted. He took it to the lake and he pushed it in hoping it would sail, hoping it would do what it was created to do. And sure enough, a wisp of breeze filled the little cell and it went ripping through the waves. It did what it was created to do. And suddenly before the little boy knew it, the boat was out of his reach. And even, even though he, he waded in fast and tried to grab it, he couldn't get it, and as he watched it float away, he hoped maybe, just maybe, the breeze would shift and it would, it would sail back to him. Uh, but instead, he watched it go farther and farther away until finally, it was gone. When he went home crying, his, his mother asked, what's wrong? Did, did, it not, did, it, did it not work? He said, it worked well. It worked too well. And sometime later, the, the little boy was downtown and, and walked past a, a secondhand store. There in the window, he saw his boat. It was his. It was unmistakably his. So he went in and, and told the owner, that's my boat. That's mine. He walked to the window. He, he picked up the boat and he started to leave with it. And the owner looks at him. He stops him and says, no, Sonny, wait a minute. That's my boat. I bought it from someone. 
The boy said, no, it's, it's my boat. I, I made it. See, I, here's the scratches, and here's the marks, and here's the hammered, and here's the, the filing that I have did. It's mine, I promise. And the man said, I'm sorry, boy, if you want the boat, you're going to have to buy it. The poor little guy didn't have any money at that time, and, but he decided to, to work, and he worked, and he, he gathered all the pennies he could, and he saved, and he saved, and finally one day he had the money to buy his boat back. He went in, and he bought the little boat, and as he left the store holding the boat uh, close to him, he was heard saying this, you're my boat. You're twice my boat. First, you were my boat because I made you. Second, you're my boat because I bought you. This little boy redeemed his boat. He redeemed it. We have officially began the Christmas season. As you begin to look around our church, you can see all the festivities and all the things going on, and you begin to get a glimpse of what it's like to enjoy Christmas. And so some of the things that we enjoy during Christmas are, are presents or a, like my wife Macy, a Christmas ham and she just loves it and we, we rejoice over it. Friends or family, we love all these things. And even though these things, these Christmas festivities are, are things that we can enjoy and things that are good things, we all know that this is not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about redemption. It's about redemption. Another story that we see in the Old Testament that is about redemption, that's interwoven so beautifully with the Christmas story, is the story of Ruth. It, Ruth is a, is a story of redemption. It's a place where we begin to see the reversal of things that had once happened. You see, over the, the next four weeks, our church us, our community of believers right here at Maysville, we're going to travel through the book of Ruth and the story of Christmas in a sermon series entitled, It Happened at Bethlehem. The question that I have, and I think the question that you should have as we enter into this particular Bible study series is this. Well, if, if we're saying it happened at Bethlehem, the question that I have is this, what happened at Bethlehem? If we're saying something happened, what, what is it? What happened at Bethlehem? At Bethlehem? And then secondly, why is it important to me? Why does it matter to me? Listen, God shows kindness to a broken and sinful world by providing redemption. I'll say it again. This is, this is the point. This is what happened at Bethlehem. God shows kindness to a broken and sinful world by providing redemption. In other words, God has restored us to a place where we used to be. Or in other words, God has bought us back. Just like the story with the sailboat, we are twice his. He made us, and he bought us back. Right. You see, the, the story of Ruth and the, and the story of, of Christmas are, are stories of reversal. See, the story of, of Ruth is, is the reversal of Ruth and Naomi's tragedy and death 
to joy because of and joy in life because of Boaz. And the story of Christmas is the reversal of humanity's tragedy and death because of sin to joy in life because of who? Because of Jesus. So let's, let's get a little background to what Ruth is all about and why Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and their two sons were in the situation they were in to begin with. You see, the, the book of Ruth is, is set during the time of the Judges. And we know that, that during the time of the Judges, this is not a time that Israel is necessarily proud of. We see in, in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it, it gives the theme of the lifestyle during the time of the Judges. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The picture that we see here is a, a nomadic group of people who were going all over the place trying to find the purpose and meaning of life and not being able to find it. And in the midst of that, they're fighting each other. They have no idea where to go. There's no hope. And see, the solution to this problem that we see in Judges, this, this idea of there not being a king and, and the people doing what they think is right in their own eyes, the solution is this. We see it in the book of Ruth. The solution is, is that God will provide a king. And this king will lead and enable people to do what is right in God's own eyes. Not, in, not what is right in their own eyes. See, the book of Ruth sets out to show how God orchestrates the, the ushering in of this king whose name right now in Ruth we don't know yet, and how this king changes the hearts of people to follow God rather than following themselves. And the beautiful thing about it is that God chooses two people such as, just as Ruth and Boaz who are people of noble character ushering in what we should expect of this next king, the next king, the king that brings, uh, brings clarity among chaos is a king who has character, a king who has kindness, which is a theme we'll see, a king who is concerned about the things of God rather than the things of himself. And so as we go into chapter 1, if we were to give chapter 1 a subtitle for the book of Ruth, this is what I would call it. It would be tragedy and death at Bethlehem. Tragedy and death at Bethlehem. You see, again, during the time of the judges, there was a, a famine in the land. And what that means is there's no food, there's no hope. People are frustrated. People are fighting with one another. And during this time, there's a particular family, and we begin to zone in on this one particular family among all the families of Israel, and that one family is the family of Elimelech. Now, Elimelech is, is a, 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 a natural, a, a, a probably a, a very common family in Israel, and this particular family decides, you know what, instead of, of pushing through, instead of persevering here in the famine, let's leave. Let's get out of here. And Elimelech, as the leader of his family, decides, we're heading out. We're giving up. God, we don't trust you anymore. We're going somewhere else. 
And so when Elimelech left, of all places he picks, where does he go? He goes to Moab. And Moab, if you know the history behind what's going on between Israel and Moab, they're not necessarily friends. We know very early on in their relationship that Moab, as Israel's leaving Egypt as God's chosen people, and they're traveling, trying to get to Canaan, we know that Moab says, no, you can't come through here. And the relationships start bad right there. We know later on as they're about to go into the promised land the second time that there's these two individuals called Balak and and Balaam and and they're trying to curse Israel and they fail because God doesn't allow but then all of a sudden the prophet, this false prophet says, wait a minute, let's, let's team up with the Midianites, let's send in prostitutes and let's draw their hearts away from their God. And what happens? Their hearts are drawn away. The point is this, you don't go to Moab. You don't go there. He knows the history. He knows that there is, this is not the right thing to do, but he goes there anyways. And so as he goes to Moab, not only by himself, but he takes his, his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Malon and, and Shelion. And, and as they arrive there, shortly after their arrival, what happens? Elimelech dies. We're not given the privilege of knowing how he dies or what happens, but all we know is that that shortly, literally right after their arrival, Elimelech dies. We don't know exactly what's going on, but what we can guess is this, is that God is showing his judgment on Elimelech for not trusting him and trusting in other things. So you would think, okay, well, all right, well, maybe, maybe it was just Elimelech that had the problem of not trusting God. Maybe it was just him, and, and maybe his family just followed along with him. And so once he dies, maybe they'll go back. What happens? It says they begin to settle in, Naomi and Malon and, and Chilion, and, and they begin to, to, to hang out with the locals. And, and before you know it, her two sons marry Moabitess women. And it says they're there for 10 years. It's not just a little vacation, but they're there for 10 years. They begin to settle in and they begin to enjoy that lifestyle. After 10 years, not only does Elimelech pass away, but we know that his two sons, mysteriously, again, we're not given the privilege of knowing how it happens, but we know that his two sons also pass away. And so as we Look at this right here. The, the, the thing that we're left with is this. We've got a father, Elimelech, who, who didn't trust God. We've got his two sons who follow in his footsteps. Now, they don't trust God either. And because of their decisions, it affects, guess who? The ones they love the most. Naomi, Ruth, Orpah. And they're left there as widows, during a time where there's no help, during a time where very easily they could have been taken advantage of. And more than likely, that's what would have happened. And so there's desperation. Naomi realizes this, and she begins to say, okay, i got to think through how, how can I fix this? How can I, how can I go back? What can I do? And it's not that she trusts God any more than her husband or her sons, but she looks at the situation and she says, I've got no other choice. I've got to go back. Because if I stay here, I most assuredly will die. 
I will die. And so she tells her, her daughters-in-law, and she looks at them and says, look, go back to your father's house. Go back. I, I know that you loved me. I know that you cared about my sons. I know that you dreamed to have a life with them, and I know it didn't work out, but just go back. And, and Orpah, we, we're not going to blame Orpah at all. Orpah goes back. Like if, as you look at the custom and the, and the culture of this time, it would have been normal for her to go back. That's her security. That's her life support. And Naomi knows she doesn't have that. She said, so she's saying, you better go, because I can't give it to you. And then something extraordinary happens. You know, Ruth very easily could have went back to her father. Very easily could have done that. And guess what? If she would have done it, guess what? We, we couldn't sit here and say, Naomi, you were wrong. But what does she do? She stays. And she begins to look at Naomi, and I don't know exactly what's going on here, but I can guess that even though this a family of Elimelech was falling away from God, and they, they, they were not trusting in God, maybe there was a glimpse of what it looked like to follow Yahweh. And she saw that, and she desired that, and she says, wait a minute, I want to go with you because your family has something that mine doesn't. And I can't necessarily put my finger on it, but I want to go with you. I want to go with you. And we know that it's not because out of some duty, because guess what? There's no duty for her to do that, but it's purely out of love. She says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you, not as a son, but as a daughter-in-law. And it's all going to be because I love you. I love you. So Naomi and, and Ruth take the long track over to Bethlehem. And they get there, and, and you can imagine all the townsfolk, they know Naomi, they, they know Elimelech, they know their two sons, and as Naomi comes into the town with this, this girl that they don't know and her family's not with them, they're, they're kind of dazed and confused. They're like, what is going on here? Where's the rest of the crew at? And she doesn't tell them what happened, but what she does do is this. She begins to tell them something different about her name that signifies what had just happened. She says, you know what, my... You knew me, or you know me as Naomi, and that means pleasant. Naomi was a pleasant woman to be around. But he says, but now my name is what? Mara. Now, what does Mara mean? It's bitterness. She is looking at her life situations, many like, like many of us. And she's seeing that life's falling apart, and instead of saying, what have I done? What is she saying? God, look what you've done to me. God, I don't deserve this. Yes, God, we didn't trust you. And, and yes, God, we walked away. But, but really? You're going to take my family away? You're going to take my husband away? My boys away? All because I walked away? Is that fair? I mean, that, that's what she's feeling like right now. Let's just be honest. She's, she is upset. And so as they're having this discussion, they're, they're going into the town of Bethlehem. And the thing about it is that Ruth, that Naomi doesn't realize is this, is that when God brings judgment, God brings judgment, yes, for those of us who have sinned, but also God brings judgment at times or, or trials at times to get us to a place that otherwise we never would have been. And that's what's happening here in the story. 
he's bringing about a particular trial and, and temptation in our life, and he's saying, look, this is going to get you to a place that otherwise you never would have gone. And so chapter 1 closes out with a small glimmer of hope. It says that the barley harvest has begun. What it's saying is, is that Bethlehem, God has been blessing them. This is a, it's the house of bread. And that God is offering them salvation. God's offering them a way out. As we begin to look at some, some key lessons here in chapter 1, we can't help but to look at it and, and compare it to the Christmas story as we see Ruth being compared to Mary, the mother of Jesus. These are both women who were in desperate situations who said, you know what, I'm going to do what it takes to follow God. I'm going to do whatever it takes to follow him. We also see that God in his providence, which we'll talk about later, that God in his providence has come into our lives. And even though he can use bad things from our perspective to bring about his ultimate good. We see that in chapter 1. If you're going to look at one verse that stands out in chapter 1, it, it would be Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. It says this. It says, but Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you from me. Let's move on to chapter 2. Chapter 1 is defined by tragedy and death at Bethlehem. Chapter 2 is defined by kindness displayed at Bethlehem. Kindness displayed at Bethlehem. Instead of accepting defeat, Ruth determines in herself that she is going to work herself out of this situation. They're in the small, meager home, and she begins to look at Naomi and says, look, we could sit here and cry all day, but if we don't do something, we're not going to be able to eat. And so Ruth says, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to work in the fields. And what she knows, and maybe Naomi even told her, told her this, is that God has a special system of taking care of the poor and taking care of the sojourner. That during this time, as, as you begin to work in the fields, what they would do is they would glean all of the produce, but what they would do is they would leave the outer edge for the poor and for the sojourner. And Ruth begins to go and to take advantage of these opportunities. She's saying, look, we're going we're gonna to get through this. And the text says, this is awesome, the text says that Ruth so happened to come upon the field of Boaz. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But she so happened to get there. It says, when the, when the field, um, when the field working, while, while in the field working, Boaz noticed the beauty of Ruth. And he begins to look at his workers and he says, wait a minute, who is this? What's her story? Where is she from? I've never seen her before. I want to know more about this young lady. And after hearing the story of, of Ruth and Naomi, not only does he notice her beauty, but he notices what? Her character. And he says, wait a minute, I've got to get to know this Ruth. She's a noble woman. I've got to get to know her. 
And so Boaz, again, he obeys the law of God concerning the reaping laws and where, the, again, the poor, the sojourners are allowed to come and get food. And he says, come and do that. But, but not only that, Boaz goes above and beyond. This is his way of saying, hey, I'm, I'm a little bit interested. He says, not only can you come and get what's on the sides of the field, but also I'm going to tell my workers, hey, hey, leave a little bit for her. You can imagine Ruth is probably picking up, hey, guys, guys, you dropped something. You say, hey, don't worry about it. It's yours. It's yours. The boss man said to leave it. And so as she's gathering this up, she's working all day. Then he looks at her and says, hey, why don't you come to my house? It's going to be a lot of us. Let's have dinner together. Not just you and me, but the whole family. It'll be good. Nothing weird. And she goes, and she begins to have bread and, and to eat with him and to get to know him and to enjoy him. Finally, the day's over, and she goes back to her meager home with Naomi. And Naomi's probably thinking, where have you been, girl? <laughs> I've been sitting here all day. I'm hungry. What's going on? And so she gets in. She goes, you'll, you'll never guess what happened to me today. I, I happened, I happened to go in a field, and it was owned by an individual named Boaz. And at the moment she says Boaz, Naomi begins to jump out of her seat. She's probably not moved this much in years. And she begins to get so excited, she says, this might be our ticket out of here. This might be it. Listen. Boaz is one of our kinsmen redeemers. And at this time, Ruth is probably thinking, well, what's a kinsman redeemer? And Naomi begins to explain, well, look, look, just in case, like, he, he can marry you and continue the name of Malon and Elimelech. And he can buy back the land that we sold. This is our way out. Maybe God isn't against me. That's what she's thinking. Maybe I shouldn't be bitter against God. And so, for some time, Ruth enjoyed the provision and the protection of Boaz, and they begin to love each other. They don't say it out loud. They don't mention it to anybody, but you can imagine as he's sitting there, he's like, man, I, I really, really love Ruth. And Ruth is thinking to herself, man, I, I really really love Boaz. As we begin to look at some, some lessons here in, in the book of Ruth, God is, is not mentioned once. In the whole book of Ruth, it's a very odd book in that, in, that, in that case. And you might be thinking, well, why is God, why is the name of God not mentioned at all in the book of Ruth? Well, we see here very early on, it says it so happened. What's going on here is that, is that we're talking about the about the providence of God. And the word providence, literally, in, in my way of explaining it, it means God's good work on your behalf. God is working behind the scenes, even when Ruth or Naomi don't see it, and when Ruth and Naomi don't feel it. And so as we begin to look at our own lives, and we begin to think, okay, well, God, I've heard this so many times, and I've been in this boat. Uh, God, I don't, I don't see you. God, I don't, I don't feel you working. God is, according to the book of Ruth, working providentially behind the scenes on my behalf, for my good. 
Another thing we see here is, is that Boaz is a picture, a picture, only a picture of the perfect redeemer, Jesus himself. We see, see, Boaz offers redemption to Ruth, who, has, uh, who is a Moabite and has no rights at all to any of the things that he's about to give her. Uh, but he looks at her and says, I'm going to give you this, and I'm going to give you this because of grace. Which is another theme in the book, and we'll talk about this, we'll see this. Is that, that Boaz comes to her and says, look, I'm going to give you this not because you've earned it, but because I'm just going to do it because that's my character. Jesus looks at us and says, look, I'm going to save you, not because of you, not because of what you've done, not because of what you can do, but because that's who I am. It's awesome. A key verse from chapter 2 would be this, Ruth chapter 2, verse 20. It says, then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives as we move on to chapter three we've seen in chapter one that if you were to if you were to give a snapshot it would be the tragedy and death at bethlehem Uh, chapter two would be kindness displayed at bethlehem And, and chapter three would be a plan executed at bethlehem after hearing of, of Ruth's encounter with, with Boaz, Naomi began to, to play Cupid. She says, look, we're going to make this work. And so she says, instead of you walking around in your widow clothes, whatever that looks like, maybe pajamas, I don't know. And she, she says, you know what? We are going to dress you up, girl, and we're going to make sure that he knows that you mean business. It goes on a little bit further, and it says that as she's getting ready, she says, look, Boaz is going to be working all day. And so this time of year, this time of year was around April or May, and and so this was like Christmas to them. This was the time of the harvest. This was the time where you got to experience all all the work that you've done. It's all come to a culmination, so they're all happy. He's been working all day, and, and so at the end of the day, they decide to have a little party down at the at the threshing floor, and Everybody gets tired, and they go home, and, and Boaz says, look, I'll, I'll stay back. Okay, look, we've been working all, all year on this. I'm not, a, I'm not a, about to let someone come in and steal this grain. I have to stay and watch over it. And so he's sleeping in the threshing floor, not a necessarily uh, comfortable place to sleep. And, and Ruth shows up dressed beautifully, communicating, I, I, I want to marry you. There's this odd thing that happens. He's laying there, he's sleeping, and all of a sudden, Ruth sneaks up in the room, and it's kind of, kind of a weird situation for us in our context, but she goes in and she, she uncovers his feet. We kind of laugh at that one because it's kind of weird. It's so it's like, why, why would you uncover his feet? So she uncovers his feet, and then it says she lays down at his feet. And you can imagine uh, Boaz wakes up and says, oh, oh, my goodness, there's a woman, and she's uncovered my feet. Okay? For me, I would be deathly afraid of that. And so she, she looks at him and says, wait, well, look, listen, this is a custom in our land. I want you to know that I'm interested. You see, Boaz, Boaz couldn't say it. Boaz couldn't say it. He's, he's interested, but he can't say it. Why? We'll learn here in just a little while that the reason why he can't say it is because there's someone closer. He can't say anything. And so he's hoping, he's hoping that at one point that this guy who's closer is going to say no so he can jump in. And so when Ruth approaches him and says, look, I'm interested in you, 
What she's saying is this. Look, I'm not interested in the closer relative. But because Boaz, and you remember, he's a man of character. Because he's a man of character, what does he do? He says, well, look, look, I would love, I would love to be the kinsman redeemer. Because, listen, I, girl, I love you. I think about you all the time. But here's the deal. We've got to ask the other guy first. We've got to ask him first. You know, and again, some people would look at this particular scene in Ruth and say, well, something sexual happened. But you've got to understand that, that the overall theme and the overall gist and the overall direction of this book, that would go completely counter what the book is trying to point out. The whole time the book is saying these are people of character. Again, in light of the judges, in light of the time of the judges, yeah, most people would do something they're not supposed to do. But Ruth and Boaz, well, they don't. They're people of character. And so it says that he, he says, look, I'm going I'm to give you tons of food. And he gives her tons of food. And she, she goes back to see Naomi the next morning. He says, look, I want to, I'm concerned about our, our reputation. I don't want anyone to think that anything happened. I, want, I, want, I don't want there to even be the appearance that anything happened. And so he packs her up. He, he sends her off. And he, she, Ruth shows up at Naomi, Naomi's, house with, with, Naomi's house with tons and tons of food. And, and you can imagine Ruth. We know that probably she said that she looks at Naomi and says, well, what do I do now? I've told, I told him I'm interested, and he said he would do something about it, but I'm also nervous. I, I, do, I need, do I need to do something? And what does what does Naomi say? Just, just wait. Let the man who promised he would do something, who's a noble character, let him do something. And you wait. You wait, and you see what God's going to do. You put it in God's hands now. See, just as as Ruth got serious about seeking redemption from her life circumstances by humbly seeking redemption in Boaz, the Christmas story reminds us to humbly approach Christ to seek redemption. And just as it says in the text that, that Boaz put his wings over Ruth, demonstrating his, his protection and his provision in her life, God looks at us and says so many times throughout the Old Testament that God puts his wings over us. That God is going to protect us and provide for us if we humbly come before him and seek his salvation. And we also know here that we see that Naomi's advice to, to Ruth to wait is something that we need to listen to often as well. Oftentimes we have a situation in our lives that we're, we're bit out of shape because if we're nervous, we're, we're worried. And so we do everything we can to fix it. But meanwhile, God's saying, if you'd get out of the way, I'd fix it. And that's what's going on here. Ruth is learning to do what? Something that her father-in-law and her husband never did. Trust God. She's doing something that they never showed her. Naomi understands it. Naomi says, look, I didn't, I didn't learn that lesson. I don't want to go through it again. I'm going to trust him. The main verse of Ruth chapter 3 is this, verse 11. It says, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. 
So chapter 1, we saw that chapter 1 could be described as tragedy and death at Bethlehem. Chapter 2 is kindness displayed at Bethlehem. Chapter 3 is a plan executed at Bethlehem. And chapter 4, remember we were talking about reversal, right? Chapter 4 is joy and life at Bethlehem. The next morning, Boaz went to the town gate. It's where all the men are gathered. The noble men are gathered. It's kind of like a barber shop, and they're all coming together. And these are the men of rapport. This is where matters are taken care of. And so he gets to Bethlehem, where again all the important decisions are made. And he gets there, and he's he's waiting on the town elders, and he sees the man, the closer kinsman redeemer, approaching. This is where everybody hangs out. He knew he was coming. And you can imagine Boaz is beginning to shake a little bit inside. He's like, oh, I'm nervous. I don't know about this. And so he tells the kinsman redeemer, he says, look, look, there's this lady named Naomi. He goes, yeah, I know Naomi. She, she's my cousin. She, she's, she went out to Moab. She's back. Yeah, I've heard about that. Well, listen, someone needs to redeem the land. And this closer kinsman redeemer is totally in agreement. He says, look, I, look I'll do it. I, I, am, I am totally on board. I will take care of Naomi. I'll make sure that she's, she's good. I'll, I'll give her some money for the land. And you can imagine Boaz at this point, his heart begins to drop down into his stomach. He's like, oh, I just lost my opportunity. But Boaz doesn't give up. Listen, remember, this man's in love. People do crazy things when they're in love. And so he looks at the man, the closer, closer kinsman redeemer, and says, look, look, on top of redeeming the land, you've also got to marry her daughter-in-law, which, by the way, is a Moabite. You can imagine the closer kids were near at this point. We don't know exactly what's going on, but he begins to step back. He's like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't agree to all that. I didn't say I would do all that. And so he, he steps back. He, says, he makes a comment. He says, look, I don't want to split up my inheritance. It's already been split, split up enough. I'm not about to split it up anymore. I don't want any more babies <laughs> in my house. This is essentially what he's saying. I've already got enough mouths to feed. And so at this point, Boaz jumps on the opportunity. He says, well, look, I'm the next closest one. Would you mind if I took this opportunity? He says, go, go for it. Boaz proudly approaches the gate with the town elders, and he looks at him and says, if it's okay with you, I would love, absolutely love to buy this land, to redeem Naomi, Elimelech, Malon, Chilion. I'd love to marry Ruth. Would you allow me that opportunity? Would you allow me that privilege? And they say, yeah, you've got it. It's all yours. And so as he takes this on, we get to the end of chapter 4, and they get married and have this wonderful life. We don't know how much time passes on, but we know that, that they have a baby together. He's, he's a man of old age, and he says, look, I... I this wonderful young lady didn't chase after the young guys, but she came after me. She's a woman of character, noble character. And they have a son. And apparently, Ruth had a hard time naming it. She calls all the other women in the town. She says, look, I need help naming this baby. And they call him, an interesting name, his name is Obed. And Obed seems like it's, it ends right there, and it's like, well, what's the big deal? Okay, they had a baby named Obed. Well, that's interesting. But as we begin to look at the lineage here, this is what's so neat about this. It says that Obed fathered who? Jesse, right? 
Jesse, Father David. David is, remember, the, the wonderful king, the king of what they thought at the time, the king of promise at the time. He, he delivered in a lot of ways. But he finally messed up as well. And then later on, again, these people don't even know this. But years and years down the road, as this lineage begins to be repaired, you got to think, you know, if Ruth is not brought into this story, guess what? The line of Jesus, it's gone. <laughs> it's, it's not there. We're not sitting in this room. Years and years later, we know that eventually Jesus is born. In what town? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And this story begins to see the full circle. But we begin to see the reversal of what? Tragedy and death, death turn to what? Joy and life. Not only in the book of Ruth, but in our lives as well. What's so amazing about it? Now that we've seen all of these stories and we begin to put it all together, you might be asking yourself again, well, what does that have to do with Christmas? What does Ruth have to do with Christmas? How does Ruth connect to Christmas? Well, Ruth connects to Christmas the same way that you and I connect to Christmas. You see, Ruth was a good woman, a great woman, a woman of noble character. A woman who would have been respected among her peers. In fact, she was even known for her goodness. But even though she was a good woman, she could not perform the perfect law of God. The perfect law of God excluded her from the rights of being an Israelite and enjoying all the blessings that God had for her. You know, you and I may be good people. Maybe we go to church like we are right now, and, and maybe when there's needs in our community, we step up and we're like, you know, we'll do whatever it takes. We will take care of our community. We're good, noble, character-oriented people. But the law of God looks at us and says, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. You see, the way that Ruth got invited into the Christmas story it's the same way that you and I got invited into the Christmas story. And that's not by the law. That's by grace. That God meets us in our sin. God meets us in our unworthiness. And he says, I made you. And I want to buy you back. You're twice old. My, my prayer, as we begin to look at the story of Ruth, and I know I'm, I went over my time, and I apologize for that. I, I know as we look at the story of Ruth, and as we see, as we go over it for, for the next four weeks, my prayer is that we don't just very quickly go through this book. It's, not, it's a cool book. I love it. It's an awesome book. But I pray that we would look at it and begin to evaluate our own hearts and say, God, I want to experience the grace that Ruth experienced. I want to know Jesus the way that she knew, she knew Jesus. That would be my prayer. So if everybody would close their eyes, we're going to We'll pray for just a moment. 
You know, there may be someone here tonight. I don't know because I'm not, I'm not God. I don't, I don't know. But maybe God's been working in your heart. Maybe God's been speaking to you tonight. And, and he's beginning to reveal that, man, I've been, I've been trying to approach God the wrong way the whole time. Maybe there's some people in here, man, I'm bitter. I've been, I've been holding things against God. And maybe now it's finally beginning to re- come to the forefront of your mind. You're finally beginning to realize, I'm angry with God. Because of my life circumstances. If that's you, here's just a few moments. I encourage you to come down. I want you to pray. I want you to be honest. Say, God, I'm upset. But God, would you change my heart? God, would you meet me in this place? I can't change my heart, but you can. You can. Maybe there's some people here tonight that, not that you're bitter, but you realize that, man, I've approached God the wrong way in the sense that I've been approaching him through my good works. I've been doing all the right things. I've been saying all the right things. But I don't know him. I don't know him like Ruth knew him. And I pray if that's you tonight, that you would pray a simple, simple prayer. This prayer doesn't save you, but it's going to help you to understand what decision you're making. And that prayer is this. God, I, I admit that I'm a sinner. God, I admit that I'm broken. I admit that I need you in my life more than anything else. And I give my life and surrender over to you for you to use it. If you prayed that prayer tonight of salvation, would you be bold enough to raise your hand? Thank you. Let's pray one more prayer, and we're going to have a time of response. Remember, if there's anything going on in your life, we're down here to to pray and to be here for one another. Let's pray. Father, we come here tonight. We pray that you'd move. Help us to respond to your word of redemption. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.